Hello and welcome to the Dancecast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lapkain. Hello and welcome to Dancecast. This is episode 17. It's been a while since I talked to you guys again, um, but I'm so glad to introduce you one of my colleagues here in Austin and one of my mentors in dance and education. Nancy Stern-Bain received her MA in dance and dance education from NYU and has taught dance to children and adults for more than 40 years. Her teaching career has included LaGuardia High School for Performing Arts and Queensboro Community College in New York City and she has taught in public and private schools, pre-K through grade 12. Over the years, she has worked with many students with disabilities, including at three schools in New York City, specifically for special needs students. She's currently a teaching artist in Austin, Texas, public schools for Forklift Dance Works, a facilitator and mentor for classroom teachers and dance educators, and last year was an instructor for an arts integration undergraduate course at the University of Texas at Austin. Nancy studied at the Royal Ballet School in London and in the US with Hanya Holm and other modern dance lumineers. She performed with several modern dance companies in New York. She also directed her own company for 13 years, showcasing her choreography and presenting educational programs. For the past four years, she has taught dancing with Parkinson's to people with Parkinson's disease through Power for Parkinson's and Baylor Scott and White. She reserved her training with the international program Dance for PD and is currently working toward her certification. Nancy lives with her artist husband Richard Rutner in Austin and they have two grown sons. Nancy truly is a joy to be around, so I hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm talking with Nancy, Nancy Bain. Hi, Nancy. Hi. <laughs> We've been actually talking for a while before recording. So you were telling me about this one time you worked at Queens. Yes. So I used to work at um, PS164 in Queens. It's the was the only elementary school for the arts in the whole New York City public school system at the time. Oh, wow. In the 80s. And... Um, and they had dance, music, um, both instrumental music and choral music, visual arts, video, and creative writing um, in the school. And what, what age groups? Uh, elementary. So oh, wow. from wow. Uh, from kindergarten through fifth grade. Huh. So it was it was a wonderful school. And when I was there, I started as a part time dance teacher, and I taught um, either two or three full days a week. That meant I had six periods a day. So I taught, I think, five classes each day, and then I had a break, or maybe one of those days I taught four and had two breaks. Um, But I 
I actually convinced them to create a dance studio on a lower level. So they put in a room with a sprung wood floor and bars and some mirrors. And the rest of the time we had the gym. So, you know, that was when the, the program expanded. And eventually they, they hired a second dance teacher. So we kind of split it. Um, and then eventually I went on maternity leave and, <laughs> and, and did not go back. But I worked there for off and on, I think, for uh, at least four or five years. And it was wonderful because we were able to collaborate as, you know, the choral music teacher would collaborate with oh, me yeah, yeah, yeah. and with the drama teacher. And we would put on assemblies for various themes like you know, African American History Month, or, you know, Women's History Month, or, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. or all the kindergarten graduations, which were these (laughs) endless ceremonies, (laughs) or the big, you know, fifth grade graduation. So all all of those had um, music and dance and, you know, poetry recitation and you know, display of all the artwork and mm-hmm. it, it, it just was it was a all-in kind of art school and the classroom teachers were very involved nice so we we would create lessons that in our arts classes that connected with the curriculum mm-hmm. and then in the middle of all of this we got a federal grant um, to promote literacy and the arts and so we, we, we met as teams and developed lessons with specific teams. So like all of the third grade teachers would meet with the dance teachers and create um, six weeks worth of dance lessons around a particular theme and that involved literacy. So my favorite one was I met with the fifth grade teachers and their uh, they were doing a, a unit on war. Oh, wow. And because it was during Desert Storm, mm-hmm. we, I, I encouraged them to look at women in war and the theme of war in dance. There were several parents who, both men and women, who had been deployed. And the kids were really upset <laughs> and we had to deal with that emotional aspect of it in the in the whole school but this particular um, uh, lesson plan really I think helped these kids and I sh- I actually showed them a little bit of Kurt Yose's green table um, and talked with them a little bit about the the history of that very famous modern dance piece and then we did some, we, we talked about what women's roles were, were and are in war and how they changed. And I had many years before created a piece about the women at the Battle of the Alamo in oh, Texas wow. and what the role of the women were because that in, in history, when you study Texas history, you barely ever talk about the women that were there. And they had, they had really important roles in that battle. Without them, you know, people would have died a lot sooner because they were really important. So I spoke with them about that. And then eventually they, they, I split them into groups and they picked 
subject matter and we worked on little mini compositions based on that. So that was it was a it was a lovely way to bring in literacy and the whole history of dance and you know and an important were, issue and that was very going important issue yes at the present. And, and and bring it together with them so that they could could express their feelings in a nonverbal way but still bring in that literacy piece because they've been reading all sorts of stories and so uh, you know it was it was quite successful wow so that sounds amazing yeah so nancy you have a long career in dance and education (laughs) very very long nancy and i teach in a a learning emotion program with forklift dance works here in austin right now so she's my colleague and i i adore her but uh But tell me more about the big. How did you end up in dance and education? How how did it start? Because oh I mean, you you had your own dance company. Yes. You performed. You choreographed. Yes. You ta- yes. you yes. thought taught. But I have been teaching since I was honestly since I was seventeen years old. Um, I shifted the study that I had at one dance studio for many 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 years since I was like six and a half or seven um, in Houston. And I went to another dance studio because it was closer to my home and it was very small. And the teacher was teaching RAD, which is the British method of ballet. And so I decided I wanted to try that. And, you know, I, I, felt that there was going to be more opportunity for me. And she was very interested in having me teach a class at, you know, I think I was almost 17, 16. It was the the summer of my junior year in high school. So I started taking classes there and I had a couple of other friends who were taking classes there. And, um, she that summer she said okay i want you to teach this class this class and this class and i had never <laughs> taught classes before and it was like just being dropped in a vat of boiling oil or something <laughs> i just was like okay now what do i do you know and i i had i had to do it i had to it was you know children but it was sort of beginning ballet and um i needed to kind of make it fun for them. And I remember that my little brother was in, in a class as well. He's nine years younger than I am. And he was in one of the classes. And we were doing, I think it was Scottish Highland Dance, because she taught Scottish Highland Dance. And I don't really know anything about Scottish Highland Dance, but I could teach a few steps. So he was in there too. He must have been, you know, uh, quite a bit younger. Yeah. Than he, he was not pleased. But... <laughs> But so that's how I learned, and then I did it again. Did you did you like it immediately? I did, I did. But I, you know, I come from a family of teachers. Oh, I see. My mother was a teacher. She was an English teacher in in high school, and she's a published poet, and she teaches creative writing and memoir writing and all those sorts of things. And my her parents were both teachers. Okay. So and then her sister was a special education teacher and so you know I it it just sort of came naturally to me and I liked it immediately 
and I loved working with kids. I also started teaching a, a class of adults, and I loved that too. I thought that was really exciting to teach beginning ballet to adults. Oh yeah, so 17. Right, right away, I'm 17 years old, and I'm teaching little kids and adults, and then of course all sorts of other things that she had me doing, like picking up her daughter, you know, from school and taking her dry cleaning to be dropped <laughs> off and driving, you know, like uh, like an hour away to a, a site where she had started another class and teaching there. So, so you know, I was thrown into doing all of these things while I was still in high school. Mm. Um, and the result of that was that I said to myself, I am never going to open a dance studio <laughs> because, because it's not about teaching. Yeah. It's all about you know, running it, running it, managing it, attendance, dealing with parents, dealing with, you know, unpaid bills and people who haven't paid their tuition and parents who are not happy because you didn't, you know, do this and that, do this and that, or give your child enough attention and on and on and on. So I thought I do not want to be in that position. But the other thing about this woman was that she she was originally from Australia, and she was, I would say, um, very ambitious. And the the year that I was a senior in high school, the Royal Ballet came to Houston, and she managed to get a meeting with Margot Fontaine, who was the had been the premier soloist of the Royal Ballet and was world famous. And she she managed to say to her, I want my top senior students to be auditioned for the school. And so there were four of us who were auditioned for the Royal Ballet School. And um, and we were all accepted. So you went to Royal Ballet? I did. I did not know that. I did. And so I didn't go the year that I was supposed to go because I had already been accepted to college. I see. And I was accepted early acceptance at a very competitive college, yeah. and I didn't want to say no. So I went to college for a year and deferred going to the I Royal see. Ballet School. And then I was able to go, and I went for a year when I was a sophomore in college. Actually, I was one of the oldest people at the Royal Ballet School when <laughs> I went there. Because at most, age 20? At, 19? Uh, 19, at age 19, because most of them came from Europe or... England, and they were 14, 15 years old. Um, and I was, of course, much older and used to a lot of independence, and they were not. And it, it caused a lot of problems for me. <laughs> I could tell you many stories that would just, you know, make your hair stand on end about that year. But, but it was an interesting year. Did you go to college to study dance? Uh, I went to this college knowing that they had a dance program. Okay. They did not have a full-fledged dance department at the time. They had a dance program within the drama department, but in the summers they hosted and had for many years the very famous American choreographer Hanya Holm. Okay. So I studied dance during the year with the director of the dance program and also drama, and and but I wanted an academic um, degree. I see. 
and I knew I couldn't get a, a, a dance degree at this point. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then in the summers, I studied with Hanya Holm, who, and that's where I was first really introduced to not only dance, but choreography. She had world-famous choreography classes where you were given assignments and, you know, and then she critiqued them, and she was really tough. So, and, and that's how I began, you know, learning about it, and by the time I finished college, I had a degree in philosophy, and, uh, you know, sort of a, I guess you would call a focus on dance and drama. Almost like a minor in a dance. A minor, yeah. yes. It was a very progressive school, still is, so, okay. so, um, uh, so they didn't have minors and yeah, majors yeah. exactly. So um, Colorado College. So I so I ended up with a degree in philosophy, and and as a result of me kind of you know beating my fist in the office many times and saying what is wrong with you? You need a dance department, not just a program that's under the auspices of the drama department where the dance gets no attention. Mm. And so I think about five or six years later, they had a dance department. There you go. So, so I feel like I, you know, I paved the way for that because I was the person, probably the first person besides my professor who, who went in there and said, you need to, you know, you need to get up to speed with the other private colleges in this country and have a competitive dance department because you have Hanya Holm here in the summer, which is, you know, something that a lot of other schools don't have. And she's world famous. She's, you know, you, you need to have this foundation. And so... They eventually did. Nice. It took a lot of pushing, though. Yeah. So where did you go from after after that? I spent about two years in Colorado Springs after that, um, and I started my own dance company there. It was oh, a little, okay. A little small dance company, and we did some performances in local performances in the. Uh, in in the big theater that was in Colorado Springs in the Fine Arts Center. And we partnered with some uh, musicians. So that's a whole other story. But suffice it to say, I had, I had a friend who was a classical uh, flamenco guitarist. Um, and so we split the bill where I had some dances and then he performed. I see, okay. And then we, did, we actually did a jazz dance performance and we had Stan Getz who's a famous jazz performer that was a very interesting <laughs> crazy performance but we had a few of those and then we did some other things where we performed in some parks and things like that then I decided to go to graduate school and I, I went to graduate school in New York at NYU okay. um, in dance and the degree was uh, for dance and dance education, and I had oh, I, see. I had the choice to either go to the School of Arts at NYU, which was a focus on choreography and performing, or to go to the School of Education, which the focus was on teaching, but also 
performing and choreography. Um, so I, my feeling was that if I was going to get a master's degree and spend the money to get a master's degree, I wanted it to be in teaching so that I could get a job teaching because performing and choreography is much more iffy. Yeah. And I thought, I, I want to be able to have this so that I can get a job teaching. So that's you ha- that's how you ended up in New York? Yes, that's how so I ended up in New York. So you went to grad school at the NYU? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It all comes together Yes, now. exactly. So, and then I stayed. Yeah, you that. stayed for a long, a long, long time. A long time, very long time, yes. And so. And then at some point you got also um, involved in like special education and de- teaching yes. dance at special yes. education. so... Along the way, um, while I was, uh, I did a lot of performing after mm-hmm. after graduate school, um, and but I was always doing a little bit of teaching. And I had a loft for a while, and I would invite students. I advertised classes, so I had students coming in, little children. I had mommies and children coming in and taught classes, and and then I had a small adult class and then I you know taught for various community organizations so you did end up having a little your own little private studio yes in in my in my loft which had actually been the the middle of the loft at that time was um, a dance studio with a wood floor and there were mirrors because it had uh, belonged to a couple that had danced with Twyla Tharp And they had put that in. So when I moved in there, um, and I moved in with my my first husband, so we we were in that studio, and it was it doubled as his art studio oh, space. I but I was able to have like a dance studio in the middle of my loft. <laughs> it was a very primitive loft, though, with you know heaters, space heaters that hung from the ceiling, a pull chain toilet in the bathroom with no privacy we had no no door we had a curtain for the for the toilet and it was right next to the kitchen so if you were in the in the bathroom you could hear what was happening from the kitchen really that is an american phenomenon that yes. i don't get they still yes. i don't know anymore but like there are so many old houses where there's a bathroom Right next to the kitchen. Yes. Weird thing. Yes. yes. Well, it's because of the plumbing. Because oh. they, didn't, they didn't want to spend more money in having the plumbing located in two different locations. So it's plumbing back to back. That's oh, why. Ah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah. So you you ended up teaching classes at your own law. Yes, for for a while, and I you know I did a lot of advertising and did that, but then eventually I, um, and I was teaching at you know various community organizations mm. through the parks department and all sorts of other things. And then um, eventually I decided to um, get certified to teach in the New York City public school system. So that took a while, but I decided to do that and um, and went through the whole process of getting, getting certified, um, which... You had to meet certain requirements for that. Uh, you had, believe it or not, you had to have been a professional dancer, a paid professional dancer. You had to prove that you had been performing and where you had performed and what you had been paid. And they didn't really care about, 
your teaching background as much as they cared about your performing background. So I did this because I had, prior to that, I had worked in a private school, um, a private prep, prep school in Brooklyn. And I started teaching three-year-olds, like maybe three classes one day a week. And then I did that for maybe six months and then added another couple of classes. And then the next year it was more classes. And the next year was more classes. And after that, they merged with another school. So then they had from three-year-olds all the way through high school. And I became the director of the whole dance program and developed curriculum from, you know, age three up through high school. And um, I hired a second teacher and built an entire dance program for them. But after I left the school, I decided I wanted to to get certified to teach in the public school system. So that's when I did that. And the first job that I got, we, we had to take a number of tests as well. We had to take, you know, like the New York City public school teachers test and then which was, you know, math, reading, writing, Mm -hmm. all of those things. You had to have an interview, um, and you had to take a dance test, which was something like 100 questions about dance history. Um, It was really crazy. A timed multiple-choice test. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I made a fairly high score on the test, and I was hired to teach at the High School of the Performing Arts. Mm. And they said to me, you have to teach Graham technique. And I went, I don't do Graham technique. I'm a Hawkins-based dancer, and I have a Horton-Lamon background beyond that in modern dance. And they said, well, you have to do this. So I spent the summer studying at Martha Graham School which was really tough. And actually, I had gone to Mexico on a vacation right before the summer um, and got very sick with, with a, uh, a, a, GI you know, a GI disease or parasite or something. They never found what it was. And so I was very ill. And I was trying to take these Graham classes. And I had lost 10 pounds. And I, it was really, really difficult. I, I managed to get through it so that I could then in the fall begin this and teach beginning level Graham. Um, and then I taught uh, floor bar and alignment um, in, in, in the ballet end of it. And it was a full-time job. So I taught every single day at least four classes and that each class was an hour and a half long. And I had professional accompanists And I forgot to to say that I also, for nine years before I was doing this, I also taught at Queensboro Community College. So I taught college students either one or two courses every Hmm. semester for almost nine years. So, and and I also had live accompaniment for that, which was wonderful. Yeah, that is, that is... It was great. It was great. And I loved doing that, and I loved advising students and, you know, helping them with their student choreography and things like that. So when I, by the time I got to the high school of the performing arts, 
I thought, I have made it. This is a wonderful opportunity for me. This is the big, you know, fame school. We're in a new building. It's going to be wonderful. And it was not. <laughs> it was Isn't very, that funny how your yeah. dreams, like you think yeah. that this it dream was, is, and then it then It, it was very out. difficult. And I can, I guess I can honestly say that I don't think I was the right fit for that. Uh -huh particular school it was it was um, very much a conservatory type of program embedded in a very large public school yeah um, and it was very competitive and the students had lots of problems and um, the one really positive thing that I did was I created a full-day workshop on injury prevention. Mm. And I invited um, massage therapists, chiropractors, um, people who did acupuncture, polarity, uh, you know, a podiatrist. All these people came and spoke to the students for the whole entire day to talk to them about how they should really begin to think about taking care of their bodies so that they could continue dancing. So there was a, a lot of time. injuries? Injuries all the time, all the time. So mo what I found out was that most of the students had no idea what they were, what they were supposed to do or how to prevent injury. Mm -hmm. And so this was very helpful for them because it gave them an idea of who they could go to, what the, those types of therapies or treatments were offered, what, what was involved with those, and what those might be best for. And, and I prefaced my sort of invitation to the specialists with that in mind. I said, you know, when you come in, you, you are not going to sell this as the be-all and end-all but I want you to explain to them what this is for and how this would be best suited for a dancer with certain injuries. And so, and, and keep in mind that these are high school students and many of them have no idea, you know, what you're talking about. So they came in with really, um, uh, you know, a, a great sensitivity and it was a full day and, you know, much later, when I went back, because I went back for several years after I had left, I only taught there for about a year and a half. But then I would go back for the, you know, the senior concerts and things. Mm -hmm. And my students would come back. Many of them were in college. And they would come up to me and say, now I understand. Now I understand why you were teaching the floor bar. Now I understand why you told us about the in injury prevention. Now I get it. So, <laughs> so that was better later that was, than never. <laughs> that was wonderful. That yeah. was that was really affirming for me to have that experience for I, them. I still actually think, at least in my experience of going to school, there's a very little of that. Right. right. Still. Right. In the dance right. programs. Right. It's it's we had we had quite a bit of it in at NYU in the graduate program. And That's we were good. very lucky, very lucky. And I did, I actually did my 
my, I did student teaching for children with one person, but then I did an internship teaching uh, ballet and injury prevention type of ballet with another person at NYU. So I actually shadowed a professor and taught a certain kind of ballet with that in mind. Mm. So, but wow. we, we had effort shape movement analysis mm-hmm. and um, just a lot of other, you know, types of um, injury preventative kinds of contacts that were offered to us in that program. And, uh, and I, that's where I also learned um, ideokinesis, which was taught by Andre Bernard, um, who is now dead, but um, he, he was the, sort of the big leader of uh, the, the ideokinesis um, program at NYU, but all over New York City and people, musicians and actors and people studied with him. And, and it was and still is a, uh, a technique for using imagery to facilitate um, better alignment mm. in your body and more efficiency in your movement. Mm. Um, and so I did that. I studied that at NYU for at least two years. And then I studied with Andre probably for another three years after that. Um, and then incorporated all of that imagery and, uh, and understanding of how the body works into my teaching. That's cool. So, yeah. That's yeah. Really so cool. it, it was sort of a somatic technique. Yeah. So but, that's what I was thinking. But a little bit different in that it really was based on injury, on imagery and on injury prevention at the same time. So. Yeah, in my BFA in Finland, we uh, our ballet was taught from a very somatic point, like Great. that. Yeah. Yes, yes. It was really, yes. it was really amazing. Yeah, you get so. it in totally different. Levels. Yes, at least I personally yes. did. Yes, yes, yes. It makes it makes so much more sense. Yeah, exactly. So because it's not about the form that you see; it's about the, the what you feel and how you can right, right, right make that shape. Through your thought, process. right, right. That's exactly that's not exactly by looking right. and then fixing yes, yourself. Yes, yes. So it's so it's you know uh, so that that was a whole other end of things. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I actually thought, gee, in my career, I could go in this direction and be, you know, a somatic movement specialist, and you know, get trained to be like um, effort shape movement analyst, Mm. movement analyst, or I could go become a physical therapist, or I could do those sorts of things. But then I I so loved teaching that I decided, well, I really, I I think I love that even more. (laughs) So I I gravitated always more to teaching and teaching children. Although I always, I always had some adult class somewhere or college students or something. But, but to get back to the special education, even when I was teaching in my loft mm-hmm. and then when I was teaching at the private school, I always had special needs students. 
I always had one or maybe two. By the time I was teaching in that in that um, private school, I had many. Hmm. Um, some of them went undiagnosed, uh, but then as I got, you know, had more training, I I was able to work with them a little bit more. And I have to I have to say that my very first job out of college, while I was still in Colorado Springs, was at the State School for the Deaf and the Blind. And I was what was called a classroom assistant mm -hmm. in a very special program that was for children who were deaf and blind and had cognitive mm -hmm. issues. So we had about 10, maybe 10 students, and we were split up into, I think, three different classrooms, and I was a, I was a teacher's assistant. And then we, so I had maybe four students in that classroom that I was responsible for. And I learned an amazing amount very quickly about how to work with these students. And I, w I was there for about a year. It was really tough. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, one summer, somebody left and gave me her classes. So I worked with, uh, I worked with women who were at the county jail. I worked with um, uh, a whole group of adults, most of whom were stroke victims. Mm. Um, and I, I had no experience. I just kind of pulled from what I knew and tried to develop things. And that continued so that by the time later on when I was teaching at, you know, the, the, the um, school in Queens and later other schools in Brooklyn, by that time, I had experienced so many different levels of special needs students, and I had studied a lot. I had taken a course um, on the exceptional child, which meant everything from autism spectrum to you know physical disability to cognitive disability, and and just ran the gamut of what to do and and also gifted children mm -hmm. and gifted children with emotional and cognitive problems so i you know that just fed into everything that i was learning and then the two actually uh the last year i was in new york i taught for an organization called readers theater workshop which was again a literacy based arts program that went into the schools, and I taught in three different schools. I taught at um, a public, public elementary school in Harlem, and probably more than 50% of the students were emotionally disturbed. I mean, they were diagnosed as emotionally disturbed. Mm -hmm. um, and then I taught at a, an entire high school of special needs students that had at least probably more than a thousand students in Queens and I was uh, I went in as a guest teacher but they already had a dance teacher a drama teacher a, a instrumental music teacher a choral teacher a shop teacher who built sets and you know so they were very interested in the arts 
and then I taught for a program for high school students who were on the autism spectrum in Brooklyn. So I was teaching at three those three different places, developing literacy-based lessons for those schools. Hmm. And and then I came to Austin after that. <laughs> but I have to I have to say like so you definitely from the get-go, you didn't have an idea that somebody couldn't do dance. Oh, Obviously, no. you were oh, like... Oh, no, 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 no. I come, I come from the minute I hit the ground running with modern dance. It was that philosophically, it had been already said to me, dance is for everyone. Huh. Dance is always for everyone. It always has been for everyone. If you look at the history of dance, it's always been for everyone. That's it. And so from the time I think I was about probably 18, mm -hmm. 19, I, and even before that, because I had already been studying the history of dance, so I already was saying to those adults when I was 17 years old, and they were saying to me, I look awful, and I was like, we don't discuss that. It's not about how you look, it's about how you feel. Anyone can dance, and it doesn't have to be perfect. It ha it's what you feel that's important. And of course, now we know that that, that is really important for brain development, the con continuation of the brain functioning normally, and for a per person's identity and feelings of self-worth and everything else. And that goes from the three-year-old all the way to the 80-year-old, mm -hmm. you know. And I somehow I knew this. I was surrounded by people my first year of college who also believed this. And so I just became steeped in that whole philosophy of, I, you know, when I, would, when I was in college, we had, a, we had an improvisation group and we called ourselves the odd bods <laughs> because we had people who were, six foot tall and people who had a derriere that was twice the size of mine and you know people who were really short and people who were you know had no flexibility and people who had very little dance training and 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 we all danced and we had these big improvisation sessions that lasted for you know an hour or two hours and then we would rotate teaching warm-ups and teaching classes and so, you know, that was my philosophy yeah, right from, from, the, yeah, yeah. from the very beginning was that, you know, and especially when I, when I flipped away from ballet mm -hmm. um, and realized that there was so much more out there than just ballet and that, you know, I, I didn't have a ballet dancer's body. I, I never did. I thought I did, but... When I went to the Royal Ballet School, they sat me down and said, I didn't. <laughs> so This is actually, I had this conversation yesterday. So mm -hmm. I went to teach at the Hilltop prison, Women's Prison yesterday. Oh, you did? Yeah, you oh, went the month yes, before. Yes, yes, So um, there was yes. a woman who said, oh, I, I just have always loved dancing. One of the inmates, she mm -hmm. was telling me this. And she said, you know, I did ballet as a child, but they told me that I was too big. And I, it just yes. nearly destroyed me. Yes, yes. But I got told the same thing at yes. age 16. Oh, yes. you are not going to be a ballet dancer. So, yes. I mean, I, and I told yes. her that. Yeah, yeah. 
it, it, I have been telling students for years because I went through that. And actually, when I was at the Royal Ballet School, I had a, a, a strange injury. It was a hip fracture. And I couldn't dance. I, I, I couldn't dance. I had to sit in a chair for a while. I was in terrible pain. And I, I am so thankful that my teacher there was perceptive. And she said, I think you will be a great teacher. Can you help lead some of the class? And so she would have me get up and, you know, teach the bar or teach a segment of the choreography, even though I couldn't do it, do it, but, you, you know, could teach it to, uh, so that I could teach it. And that made me feel a little bit better because I, I was, I came this far from having a nervous breakdown yeah. there because they, the, the doctors at the ballet school said to me, what are you doing here? They misdiagnosed me. They said, your hips are terrible. Um, you have no turnout. You will never be a ballet dancer. Uh, one doctor said, you're going to have calcium deposits in your hips for the rest of your life. You need to go home. And, you know, of course, at that point, there were no cell phones. You couldn't communicate with your parents yeah. or your family. And there you were. And there I was falling apart. And, you know, my roommates were having nervous breakdowns. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. One was anorexic bulimic. One tried to kill herself a couple of times. Then the other one later on, after I left, tried to kill herself. It was, you know, one blew her knee out. It was just terrible. So, so the fact that I could hold myself together in that atmosphere and believe in myself enough. And then when I came home, I said to myself, I have to figure this out. So I'm not going to be a ballet dancer, but I, I don't want to give up dance. So mm. what can I do? Okay. And I had discovered already modern dance and then, and then found that. And then I was like, no one is ever going to tell me or anybody else that I know that you can't be a dancer. Because if you, if you have it in your soul, in your heart, you can be a dancer. You can be a dancer because you can express yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I looked at people like Isadora Duncan. And, you know, I, I, you don't have to look a, a certain way. You have, to, you have to feel that you can express yourself in movement. And that's all. Mm -hmm.